and unsurpassed penetrating and perfect dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas having it to see and listen to to remember and accept I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Good morning. Good morning. Oh. <laughs> Not yet. Zenshin, <laughs> uh, Greg Payne, got his first introduction to Zen at San Francisco Zen Center when he was just 19 years old and trained closely with Sojin Roshi, the abbot here at Berkeley Zen Center, for over 20 years. He was ordained as a Zen priest in 2002 and received Dharma transmission in the lineage of Suzuki Roshi from Sojin Roshi in April 2012. Happy anniversary, 20 years, my man. Thank you so much for <coughs> our speaker today, all the way from Tassajara Zen Mountain Center, Greg Faith. Thank you, Ross. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's so nice to see so many familiar faces. Um, I'm not very used to giving talks on Zoom, but yeah, uh, I'm I'm broadcasting to you live from the Kaisando, the Founders Hall at Tassajara Zen Mountain Center. So you can see Suzuki Roshi's portrait behind me on the altar there. I have already offered incense. And yeah there's a few things um i'd like to talk about this morning uh, first i'll begin with um the the thing i always do every talk i ever give uh which is to say um uh i'd like to thank and acknowledge my teacher sojin mel weitzman roshi the old buddha of the east bay um and that that feels uh, especially poignant um, because I'm aware that this is the first Saturday talk since the funeral at Green Gulch Farm last weekend. Thank Sojin Roshi and to say uh, this talk is just to encourage you in your practice. Those are the two things I always say at the beginning of every talk. Uh, I'd like to thank Ross for inviting me. And I would especially like to thank uh, Abbot Hosan Roshi, Alan Sanaki, for um, his mentorship. And yeah, just in recent times, uh, been practicing closely with me and very, very helpful. Um, although I don't know a lot of you, I feel a deep, deep, connection and kinship to my home temple, Berkeley Zen Center. I first came to Berkeley Zen Center in the beginning of 1996. <clears throat> and it's where I met my bride. It's where I did Jukai, lay ordination. It's where I was ordained as a priest in 2002. It's where I married Linda in 2005. Um, pretty significant milestones. And I even lived there before I came to uh, Tassajara in 2000. I lived in uh, the temple for about a year. Mm -hmm. So I have a big, big heart connection to Berkeley Zen Center. Um, in the funeral last weekend, it was amazing to me. I, I knew almost everybody in the Zendo from Berkeley Zen Center, from um, San Francisco Zen Center, from the wider Sangha. It was an amazing coming together uh, and I was so humbled. Um, Linda and I were 
able to be in the procession. It was a pretty big deal. Uh, yeah, and we had to wait a long time to do the funeral on account of the pandemic. Um, there's been a lot of um, deferred, uh, delayed grief recently, I feel, specific and generalized. Um, as you may have heard, uh, we're not having a guest season in Tassajara right now. Uh, I think there's 17 people here right now, 18 maybe. Somebody comes, somebody goes, someone's on vacation. I, I think the count is hovering right around 17 or 18 people right now, which is enough to keep this place going. Um, you know, keep the lights on, doing some maintenance and taking care of the grounds, but it certainly feels empty without the guests from my point of view. Um, however, you know, we barely got started when uh, the first person to catch COVID was somebody working in the stone office. So <clears throat> that was kind of a big deal. Also, um, it was uh, pretty stretched thin. And um, we became aware that uh, it was just not going to be sustainable. So here we are, nonetheless. Practice goes on, nonetheless. I'm happy to report. You know, we have a nice schedule now uh, for the people who are here. And we continue to go up on the Engawa, the walkway in front of the Zendo, and hit the Han. Call the people to the Zendo. That's happening. You know, the practice continues at Tassahara. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I thought that uh, I would tell a couple of stories. A uh, lot of Zen practice and the entire history of Zen and um, the culture, if you will, of Zen is all based around, you know, this, this incredible significance of uh, stories of our family way. You, know, you could say koans. Uh, some are understood specifically as koans because, I don't know, they're in a koan collection. Otherwise, uh, I don't know if they rate as koans or not, but there are many, many, many stories uh, that, that get shared over and over again that uh, exemplify and, and illuminate our teaching and practice in a, in a kind of warm-hearted and very often funny way. Um, so I chose a couple that might be excessive. Excuse me, they're, they're, I'm in Tassajara and I'm in the Kaisando and there's just a few mucus flies in here, just a few. Well, I think I just saw one on camera. Uh, yeah, that... that uh, um, hopefully for me illustrate kind of uh, how I understand Sojin Roshi's Dharma, which is a big thing to say, uh, but in a small way, put it that way, in a small way, just a little bit. And then, um, you know, um, probably finish and leave lots of time for uh, questions because Ross said that um, he was going to put my email address in the chat in case we ran out of time for questions so people could email me with uh, their questions in case we didn't get to them. And I'm okay with that. However, I'm very bad at email. I, I, I get a lot of email and and uh, um, I was I was a little scared when Ross said that to be honest, uh, but I'm up for it. But I just wanted to say that when I first started practicing with Sojin Roshi with Berkeley Zen Center in '96, I was caught immediately. <clears throat> yeah, 
um, pretty much immediately. First impressions of Berkeley Zen Center. Uh, I noticed there was a, a little piece of paper next to the entrance to the Zendo, like a calendar with spaces and a pencil. If you wanted to have Dogazan with Mel, you just took the pencil and wrote your name on the piece of paper. And if you couldn't make it, there was an eraser and you could erase your name. So if somebody else erased their name, you could put your name in there. And then Mel would look at the calendar. He said, oh, that's who I'm talking to. So straightforward and so accessible. Um, there's no, you know, um, I mean, there's formality, but uh, it's not like I had to uh, seek out a Jisha or something like that. Just put your name on the calendar. So I did. <laughs> and uh, uh, I was pretty much pretty much caught from my first Dokusan when I, I came back. I came back to practice after a long hiatus. Uh, and um, I was I was working in various different um, uh, healthcare settings at this time in the '90s, uh, including Alta Bates, but uh, in the in, in originally um, when I first started to coming to uh, Berkeley Zen Center, I was living in East Oakland and uh, working in Fremont, uh, managing uh, food service in a skilled nursing facility. And it was a pretty demanding job. And I had very funny hours. So sometimes I could even come to Zazen on my way to work. I could come to morning Zazen and uh, be dressed for work and, and get on BART and get to work on time. <clears throat> and because I was the uh, manager, I, I got to set my own hours in some ways. So I, uh, my gosh. I don't know if it was my second or third Dokusan with Sojin Roshi, uh, but uh, it was pretty early on. And I was on my way to work. I came to Zazen. I had an appointment for Dokusan because I put my name on the calendar. And I came in the Dokusan room dressed for work, which was, you know, I was wearing a suit jacket. And Inside the left breast pocket of the suit jacket, the sports coat, I had uh, stuck this little foam right-sized human heart that I got from the director of nursing in my workplace. You know, uh, they use these like little models, like you might be surprised. Your heart is no bigger than this. This is a life-size it's kind of squishy foam. Uh, I had that stuck in my suit jacket. And I said to Sojin Roshi, uh, there's something I want to give you. And I went. And he took it. And he said, uh, I'll just put this over here to the side in the Dokusan room. And then he said, uh, that came out pretty easily. And I said, yes, yes, it did. And that's my story. This thing was in the Dogazan room for a long, long time. Uh, years, actually. Um, I know this because I, I just took it back. <laughs> Hosan Roshi was like, take it. <laughs> uh, so now it's back, it's on my altar. Uh, and uh, I put a little Band-Aid on it. Anyway, it was a couple of years later, I did Jukai with Sojin Roshi, and he gave me the Dharma name Zenshin, which means whole heart. <clears throat> yeah. Linda and I were so fortunate to go and teach for a little while in New Orleans earlier uh, in May, <clears throat> early May. We took um, oh, almost two weeks. Um, the 
No, not two weeks, but it was a week bracketed by weekends because they have weekend program. So we did two weekend programs. The first of which was the Jukai. We gave the precepts to several people at Mid-City Zen. This is a peer-led Sangha in the Mid-City neighborhood of New Orleans, uh, which um, is actually a wonderful little Sangha. There's also a Zen center of New Orleans in a different lineage that I know nothing about. But I love the Sangha at Mid-City Zen. It's our third time we've been there. And it was really wonderful. And in addition to giving talks and the Jukai, Linda and I taught a class on the Fukanza Zengi, the uh, Zazen instructions that A.A. Dogen wrote down at the age of 27 when he uh, first came back to Japan from his, his trip to China. And uh, the Fukanza Zengi is really rich. It uh, has um, allusions to and references so many different things. If you were to make a list of it, you might be surprised. Uh, Dogen was like that. Uh, um, he had the whole Buddhist canon at his fingertips, you know. So um, there's a story that I'm pretty sure Dogen must have been really fond of because it's, it's for one thing, it's referenced in the Fukan Zazengi twice. And it shows up in uh, Shobogenzo, the treasury of the true Dharma eye in a few places. So the Fukan Zazengi starts out the way, anyway, the version that we chant in San, in San Francisco Zen Center, Tassahara, it starts out the way is originally perfect and all-pervading. How could it be contingent upon practice and realization? How could it be contingent upon practice and realization? Yeah. So this is a reference to uh, the story of a famous meeting between the um, old Buddha of China, <laughs> Uh, Huaynan, the sixth ancestor, um, Sojin Roshi, of course, had a deep affinity for Huaynan in the Platform Sutra. Um, <clears throat> and people called him the Chinese Buddha. So this is uh, an exchange between uh, Huaynan and his student Nanyue, uh, Nangaku Ejo in Japanese. You'll find his name on your Ketchimyaku if you have one of those. If you've done lay ordination or priest ordination, you receive the, the blood vein, the lineage document. And because Dogen received transmission in the Rinzai and Soto lineages, you'll find Nangaku Ejo on your uh, Ketchimyaku because it splits and goes together. It splits at Huenang, both lineages comes together with Dogen. So this is from Shobogenzo Henzan, uh, all-inclusive study in my trusty copy of Moon and a Dewdrop, well used. When Zen teacher Dahui of Nanyue first went to meet Huaynang, the old Buddha of Caoshe, the old Buddha said, what is it that thus comes? Dahui all-inclusively studied that lump of mud for eight years and then presented this move to the ancient Buddha. Okay, I'll stop now. Uh, so that's a pretty heavy thing to happen. Your first Dokusan, uh, I'm glad that Sojin Roshi didn't do that to me. Um, I don't know what Huaynang uh, thought he saw, but, you know, student, the new student you never met before comes in the room. What is it that thus comes? You know, thus comes Tatata. That's the epithet of the Buddha, right? The Tathagata. Thus come one. That's kind of heavy <laughs> to me. <laughs> I find that like, whoa. <laughs> so, you know, Tanyue's like, okay. <laughs> Probably does his bows, you know, splits. <laughs> 
eight years. Eight years, he doesn't come back. <laughs> Poor guy. But I don't doubt he was practicing and studying thoroughly. Like, like, like it says, all-inclusive study is the title of this fascicle. <clears throat> Dahwei all-inclusively studied that lump of mud for eight years and then presented this move to the ancient Buddha. This move is a reference to the game of Go, by the way. It's a fun fact. Little, you know, place your tile on the Go board. He presented this move to the ancient Buddha. I understand now. When I first came here eight years ago, when I first came here, you instructed me, what is it that thus comes? Then the ancient Buddha of Saosha said, what do you understand? Dahui said, speaking about it won't hit the mark. This is the actualization of all-inclusive study, the realization of eight years, says Dogen. The old Buddha of Saosha said, does it rest on practice and realization? Or some translations would say, does it depend on practice and realization? Fukanza Zengi translation says, contingent upon practice and realization. Dahwe said, it's not that there is no practice and no realization. It is just that they cannot be defiled or they cannot be separated. Then Saosha said, I am like this, you are like this, and all the Buddha ancestors in India are also like this. So it's not that there's no practice and realization. It's just that they can't be defiled. They can't be separated. It isn't one than the other. They arise together. This is um, kind of crucial, crucial to uh, A.H. Dogen's Buddha Dharma, the non-separation of practice and awakening. It's one event. Uh, Dogen, Suzuki Roshi, Mel, all the ancestors of India and China, <clears throat> in fact. So this comes up over and over again in uh, Shobogenzo, in everything Dogen had to say about all of this. He frequently wrote it as one word, practice enlightenment, one word. Uh, there's a um, vintage t-shirt from uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill Zen Center. Uh, or the back of the t-shirt, it says practice enlightenment as one word, P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E-N-L-I-G-T-E-N-M-E-N-T, -E 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 practice enlightenment, one word. It's a singularity, maybe. It's a one event. When you practice, there is awakening. So I felt this always in Sojourn Roshi's presence and continue to feel that. Um, my, our, I dare say our practice relationship with Sojourn Roshi continues unabated. Um, there's a, a former teacher at Berkeley Zen Center. Uh, plenty of people I saw in the funeral last weekend will remember Meili Scott. And when we lost Meili, over 20 years ago, I started having a recurring dream about her. Uh, I'm not gonna bore you with the details of my dream, but I had the same dream several times. It's a recurring dream. And it was um, both kind of encouraging and a little bit disturbing to me. So naturally I talked to uh, Sojan Roshi about it and he was very interested. And he was quiet for a long time. And then 
he said to me, well, you know, in Japan, they don't see death as a big interruption in the teacher-student relationship. That had a big impact on me, and I, I still feel that way. Towards the end of Fukaza Zengi, Dogen says, practice realization is naturally undefiled. That's the second reference to that exchange. Going forward in practice is a matter of everydayness. And that really, really also makes me think of Sojin Roshi, Sojin Roshi's way. So second Zen story, oh my gosh. Probably two is too many. This is trusty copy of the Mumankan actual collection of koans. Right? This is a wonderful translation by Robert Aiken from our good old Tassahara library. <clears throat> Case 19. This is an exchange between uh, Jiao Zhou, very, very famous teacher, Joshu in Japanese. Uh, his name, he is in more koans and more koan collections than any other teacher, actually. This is an exchange between Zhao Zhou and his teacher, Nanchuan, when Zhao Zhou was a very young monk. And yeah, similar to the previous one between Huineng and Nanyue. Zhao uh, Zhou asked Nanchuan, what is the way? Nanchuan said, ordinary mind is the way. Zhao Zhou asked, should I try to direct myself toward it? Good question. Diligent monk. Nanchuan said, if you try to direct yourself, you betray your own practice. Interesting translation. Uh, it's been translated other ways. I think uh, basically, if you go towards it, you go past it. If you go in that direction, you're going the other direction. Um, but Aiken Roshi has it. If you try to direct, direct yourself, you betray your own practice. If you go towards it, you're going to miss it. Zhao Zhou, very good monk. Zhao Zhou says, how can I know the way if I don't direct myself? That's a great question. Nanchuan said, the way is not subject to knowing or not knowing. Knowing is delusion. Not knowing is blankness or dullness, stupefaction. If you truly reach the genuine Tao, you will find it as vast and boundless as outer space. How can this be discussed at the level of affirmation and negation? With these words, Zhao Zhou had sudden realization. I love it when they end that way. And with that, he was greatly awakened. It's, you know, they all lived happily ever after. Uh, yeah. It can't be discussed in knowing or not knowing. It's not that there's no practice in realization. It just can't be separated. So you can't direct yourself towards it. What do you do? Actually, Aiken Roshi who did this translation, famously said, enlightenment is an accident, but you can make yourself accident prone. I would say, wherever you show up, however you show up, there is practice. And that's... Um, that's what I got from Sojin Roshi. I just show up, you know. And I was starting in Berkeley Zen Center. I did a sashin. And um, we finished the sashin on a Sunday. And I came back Monday morning for Zazen. That's one of the biggest smiles I ever saw from Sojin Roshi, actually. You're like, oh, here you are. 
I said, well, yeah, <laughs> like, that's great. You know, just continue. You just continue, you show up. You show up for the practice and you show up for your community. As I've heard him say so many times, just take very good care of whatever's in front of you. This was Sojin Roshi's practice. Show up, take very good care of whatever's in front of you. Be it a person, an apple pie, a puppy, a flat tire, just show up. Take very good care of whatever's in front of you. <clears throat> so I I, uh, I spoke about uh, uh, <clears throat> all the unprocessed grief. Um, here in Tassajara, we've had uh, this summer instances of COVID. Um, a few uh, whereby, you know, we occasionally students have had to quarantine. Uh, not many, thank goodness. And we would like up our precautions and protocols. So we, there have been quite a few times actually where we just stopped doing chanting services for obvious reasons. And then when we resumed chanting services, uh, I noticed like there's this backlog of memorial services again. Uh, and it kind of um, hit me that way. <clears throat> um, and we're living through pretty scary times, you know. Um, Supreme Court just struck down Roe versus Wade. It was not unexpected, as everyone's saying. But the impact is profound. And if you're surprised that I'm talking about this from the Dharma seat, well, I think about um, when I, I lived for a few years in the early 90s in Portland, Oregon, and I was kind of flirting with getting back into practice, actually. I went to Dharma Rain Zen Center a few times. Um, when I was living up in Portland and actually really fond of um, late great teacher uh, Kilgan Carlson Roshi and one time he was giving a talk there was this um, pretty hateful ballot measure uh, on, uh, on the uh, election on the ballot at the time uh, uh, discriminating against um, uh, gay and lesbian population, uh, setting up some legal discriminations, and it was it was pretty terrible. And Kyogen spoke about it, and he said, "Well, uh, I am a political person. I have politics. I don't talk about them much." But when it comes to a case of human rights, which this is, then I feel that it's completely consistent with my bodhisattva vows to talk about it. I feel the same way. So all this stuff of, you know, when you, when you meet the Tao, it's as vast as outer space. What's that got to do with it? Actually, I think it has plenty to do with it. Plenty. See, I just took a deep breath. 
I was just aware of that. Just noticed I took a deep breath. This is what um, years of Zen training has taught me to do. Stay connected with my breath. Stay in the body. Sojourn Roshi used to say, don't let anything knock you off your seat. In the practice of Dana Paramita, the perfection of giving, classically in Buddhism, they say the monk, the practitioner, has three gifts. Three, that's why I'm holding up three fingers. Three gifts we typically give material aid, food, clothing, medicine, shelter, the Dharma, the teaching. And the third gift is non-fear. Bodhisattvas give the gift of non-fear. And we are all, everyone in this Zoom room, everyone in the little squares in the Zoom room, I know we are all bodhisattvas in training. And it's actually our duty, our responsibility, I dare say. Big words, but that's how I feel about it to give the gift of non-fear. Buddha's cousin, Devadatta, tried to kill the Buddha more than once. Famously got this man-killing elephant. Nalagiri was the elephant's name. Got him good and drunk and released him in the street, aimed right at the Buddha. The Buddha was coming from the other direction and this mad drunken elephant is charging straight at him. He's gonna kill him. And the Buddha just stands there, gives it, you can't see my other hand. <laughs> the, the mudra, abhyaya, which you've seen in many statues of the Buddha. Abhyaya mudra, non-fear. And the elephant comes to a dead stop goes down on his knees and starts brushing the Buddha's robes with his trunk. Aw, so sweet. This is the gift that we have to offer. Stabilizing body and mind. This is the fruit of the practice. This is the meaning of the non-separation of practice and realization. One minute of zazen is one minute of Buddha, they say. This is always accessible to you. Your breath is always accessible to you. Checking in, stabilizing body and mind, being ready to meet whatever comes. Scary times. Giving the gift of non-fear. So that's my talk. I think that's all I got to say this morning. Thanks for listening. And I did leave some time for questions, if there are any. Thank you very much. Mary. Thank you, Greg, for being here. Could you, would you be willing to say something about your ongoing relationship with your teacher, Mel? Well, Can you take your sure. Do you need to hear the question? Greg, I'm just going to repeat the question for everyone. They didn't hear it. Mary asked, Mary asked if uh, Greg would be willing to share something about his ongoing relationship with his teacher. Um, yes, of course. I, I think about Sojourn Roshi all the time. I'm not kidding. I, I miss him every day. Um, His inspiration, his example, how he exemplified and, and above all embodied the practice in everything he did. Just actually the way he just would 
touch things, even handle things, be with people. His mirror mind has been uh, enough, more than enough, so abundant to sustain me in my practice all this time. You know, I, of course, left Berkeley Zen Center in the spring of 2000 and came to Tassajara and I've been at Tassajara for a long time. Well, I was the, also in city center in San Francisco in the early aughts for about four years, but otherwise um, uh, exclusively at Tassajara. Um, and people would ask me, you know, well, how is that? You, you, uh, you're here, your teachers in Berkeley. How is that for you? You know, we didn't have Zoom then. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> well, we didn't have Zoom back then. <laughs> I, I couldn't see him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got asked that question more than once. And I had a very ready answer. I said, I see Mel everywhere I go in Tassajara. I think I can also say I see Mel everywhere I go, period. Oh, I have some, another show and tell, actually, since you mentioned it, and we're in the Kaisan, though, up here on the altar, we have these various memorial tablets for our deceased abbots. Not only Suzuki Roshi, and we recently were gifted one by our Dharma sisters, Jaku and Shinshu, who lead the Ocean Gate Zen Center in Capitola, California, which, if you haven't been, I highly recommend. Their Zendo is so pretty. It's not Berkeley, you know, <laughs> but it's pretty nice. <laughs> you know, they need more time. <laughs> no, it's a really nice space. And they got these Ihai, this is what they're called in Japanese, a, a memorial tablet from Japan. And, and they got Gengo Akiba Roshi's help with the uh, calligraphy and this is an ehi that they gave us to put on the altar here in the kaisando in tasahara it's for sojourn roshi i can't read the calligraphy however i can't tell you that at the top there's two lines here that mean uh that that relate to signify that he was the abbot of berkeley zen center and the abbot of san francisco zen center that's, that's the meaning of that. Yeah. So a felt presence always. The relationship continues unabated. We have a question online from uh, EG, if that's the right pronunciation. Sorry about that. Uh, go ahead and uh, go ahead and speak. Thank you. That would be E J I. <clears throat> J I. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for Equal your presentation. Initiative. Um. Yeah, that's correct. Um, wow. Yeah. Very good. Say more. Um, I've chosen um, E J I because that was such an important. A reality that I needed to identify and be and be mindful of my ancestors, and so I I would not I have forgetfulness, and this is an extremely mm -hmm. important 
um, way for me to identify who I really am and who my people are and what has happened in the past. I'm deeply, deeply saddened that I do live in a culture where this reality is not um, the, 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 I guess, the, the lamentations, if you will, or the recognition of the truth of the history is not there. And so it's important for me to remember the truth of the history because it's very easy for me to forget living in this culture. Um, I am currently experiencing the juxtaposition of Juneteenth and, um, and the 4th of July. What a fascinating mm -hmm. juxtaposition. And mm -hmm. so as a person who um, had the opportunity to practice Zen up in, uh, up in Lake County, um, um, uh, so, and, and having been here and practice, I'm trying to figure out where, where I am at this point. But uh, they, the Equal Justice Initiative is a recognition, is a museum of recognition of the, um, of, of the, of the, um, of, of the lynching, the many, 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 many lynchings of African-American men throughout the history, uh, people, and of course, that's the whole connection with George Floyd also. So how does one, and I was going to ask a question about the, um, about the New Orleans um, uh, Sangha, because I studied, I studied at Xavier there in, in, in New Orleans, but mm -hmm. there is, just seems to be a very freshness about that particular Sangha that you might, there might be something there, but yeah. So the Equal Justice Initiative is, is critical because it, it simply calls attention and mindfulness to the historical reality of what Black people have experienced in this country and how is it that uh, a person who lives in Oakland, you know, down the street from the Berkeley Zen Center, how is it that I can be who I am and, and, and also practice in, 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 in this environment? Um, and that's 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 the challenge, and I'm, I'm wondering if New Orleans found some way of it has some connection with that reality. So, uh, thank you for uh, taking my question. Thank you. Um, well, yes, actually, like I said, that particular sangha, Mid City Zen, is a pure lead sangha. But our host in New Orleans is his name is John Voss, and he's very connected with the history of social justice in New Orleans. He could tell you everything about it. We cross the train tracks and you point down the tracks. You say, just down there was the train station where um, Plessy versus Ferguson began. We tried to get on the train. Wow, amazing. You know, um, we passed through New Orleans twice. Um, last fall, Linda and I took a three-month sabbatical, and yeah, we didn't participate in the fall practice period at Tassajara. Instead, we went on a very long road trip, mostly to Texas, various places in Texas, mostly Houston Zen Center, with which we've had a practice relationship many years. Um, we often refer to Houston Zen Center as our other sangha. But being that it was a road trip that we drove our own vehicle there, um, it was very much on my mind and uh, uh, a long awaited thing to do a side road trip. Uh, once we'd been in Houston for a while, we went to Montgomery. So we actually passed through New Orleans twice. And on the way back, we did more teaching, but our destination was Montgomery to go to the Legacy Museum and the Memorial. Um, dear friend of mine gave me really good advice. Don't try to do both in the same day. <laughs> That's, I can definitely echo that if you can. Uh, it's worth a trip to Montgomery. It's, it's worth flying to Montgomery just to go to the Legacy Museum. 
we spent five hours in the museum and it wasn't enough. And then we went to the memorial the next day, a life-changing experience actually. And now I get an email from EJI every day, which any of you can, um, you just sign up for it and you'll be on their calendar on this day in the history of racial injustice, an email every day with a story. Some of them are pretty hard to take in, but this is, as the museum's name says, this is our legacy. Some people are trying to like turn against it, ignore it, go the other thing, you know, oh, CRT, CRT, you know, uh, we, we can't have that, you know, we can't teach this country's actual history. Huh? No? Oh. We must. We must. It cannot turn away. I feel so strongly about that. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I mentioned Roe v. Wade, because that's very much on people's minds right now, but there are a lot of things are coming to a head, I feel. And I think it behooves us anyway, as a starting point, just to start stabilize body and mind. How are you gonna meet that drunken elephant? You know, that's so critical. There's a, a book Linda and I just read, uh, Resmaan Menachem's new book called The Quaking of America. Highly recommend it. I highly recommend this book, Quaking, The Quaking of America. And, you know, Resmaan Menachem is a uh, somatic therapist. And most of the book, like his other book, My Grandmother's Hands, it's full of exercises, very zen. It's all body practice. How are you going to stabilize body and mind? How are you going to meet what's coming? And there's plenty coming. I feel that so strongly. You know? Like John Lewis said, uh, let's get into trouble. Good trouble. Buddhists can do that. First, stabilize body and mind. So I saw Rondi had her hand up. Yeah, thank you, AJI. Uh, Rondi, you put your hand down, but do you still have a question? Yes, I do. Um, hi, Greg. So, Greg. Hi, um, yes. Thank you for your talk. My my question is, I'm I'm wondering. Um, Sojin Roshi apparently picked up a huge. Um, rock from Tassajara for his uh, memorial, <laughs> and I wonder. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> I see Charlie too. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Randy. Yeah, that rock. What about that, huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's that, still that's the rock. Okay, it's still sitting in the uh, driveway of the Berkeley Zen Center, and um, as as um, Greg. Uh, tries to figure out how to move it. But what I wondered about, what I wondered about was, uh, did Sojin Rushi have anything you, in particular that he shared with you about why he chose that particular stone and your experience? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Um, no, thank you. Um, that was really meaningful to me. Um, maybe not as meaningful as searching for Maley's memorial. For Maley's memorial, which is also a stone from Tassajara, we went all over the place together. I mean, <laughs> how hard is that? Be with my teacher. We, we looked upstream. We looked downstream. We went up Cabarga Creek. Uh, finally, in the creek bed in Cabarga Creek, like adjacent to uh, guest parking down there in the creek bed, he found it. He's like, this is it. But it was a long time. I had so much fun doing that with him. 
as far as uh, I'm really sorry, that rocket's so big. I'm so sorry. It was quite an adventure driving it in the truck. Believe me, taking it over Tassajara Road. I was keenly aware of the weight of it behind me in the truck. Oh my gosh, what an adventure! But um, yeah, Sojin and I were walking to the bathhouse. And we were talking about that. And I was like, do you? Do you have in mind some particular rock? And we kept walking. And he says, well, actually. And then um, uh, he stops and he points. He says, it's that one right there. And um, it was so cute. He was like, he was kind of sheepish, you know, like blushing, you know, well, well actually, right there. He was kind of like um, a little shy about it. Yeah, I, was, I would say that. He was a little, little bit shy, but very clear. There was no mistaking which rock he was pointing at. That's it. That's how I knew. Thanks, Rondi. Thank you. Hosan has a question. Hi, Greg. Hosan Roshi. So to go back to your story about uh, Joshu, uh, so he had this great awakening when he was young in practice. And then uh, he didn't leave the monastery until he was 60, and his teacher told mm -hmm. him not to teach for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So what was he doing all that time? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not... Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say he was practicing really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you said jokingly, and you know, he had this awakening and happily ever, ever after. But um, yeah, but there's more to it, right? Right, of course. Uh, the, you know, um, awakening experiences are wonderful, and it's not what it's about. This right here in the Zoom room. This is also an awakening experience. Thank you. Between, uh, I have Ed Herzog. Ed, if you'd like to unmute and go ahead. Oh, I wasn't done. Oh. <laughs> I was to... Well, don't don't go ahead. Don't go ahead. Dredge up. I was trying to dredge up the appropriate Dogen quote. I, I, I got it. <laughs> it's from the opening sentences of Shogunso Gyoji, which means continuous practice. Uh, this directly relates to what Hozan is talking about. Dogen says, between aspiration, practice, enlightenment, and nirvana, there's not a moment's gap. Continuous practice forms the circle of the way. So... My answer is, Jiaozhou was in the circle of the way from start to finish. Thank you, Hozan. Ready for the next one, Greg? Sure. All right, we have Ed Herzog. Go ahead. Hi, Greg. Ed. Hello. Hi. I, I um, thank you for bringing up fear. And I'm just wondering, how do you practice with your fear? Yeah. Uh, so I, I have this uh, kind of tired, cliched Zazen instruction in five words that a lot of people around here have heard probably more than they care to. Um, my Zazen instruction in five words is stay present for whatever arises. So when fear is what is arising, uh, 
it's it's a classic you know in our bodies we want to go fight flight freeze fawn annihilate you know some some response like i'm not okay i'm not safe that's very natural <clears throat> The word courage means from the heart, you know, in French, la coeur is the heart. Courage means heartfulness. Can you stay in your heart? Can you stay in your body? Courage, as Zen teacher Linda Gallian has said, is not the absence of fear. It is being present with your fear. Stabilizing body and mind in the presence of the fear. Yeah. And this, yeah, as I mentioned, Resma Menachem's book before um, is very much what this book is about. Very much. I think it's so critical. So thanks for asking. Beings are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Thank you very much, everybody.